it's like the tortoise and the hare. I felt like the tortoise and everyone else was the hare. And actually what happened is what happens in that fable. I'm Serena Francis and welcome to Messy Round the Edges. In this podcast, we will discuss when life doesn't quite go to plan, the tough decisions you have to make when faced with various challenges that ultimately lead us to a more fulfilling life. Hi, Rachel, and welcome to Messy Around the Edges. Rachel has a business called Accountant She. Rachel, welcome to the show. And please, can you tell everybody what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, Not just because it's tax season and I'm procrastinating from filing tax returns, but because I'm so excited about this podcast. I personally think that... um, Where we are right now in terms of Instagram and reality, I think it's so, so, so important as business owners and then again as female business owners to talk about the not so glamorous side of doing it and the bits that the bits that go wrong, because that's when we learn the most, the messy stuff. Um, drives the future pretty stuff so it's really really exciting um yes yeah, so I'm the founder of Accountancy, which is a female-led accountancy practice and I personally specialize in working with women in business and influencers so I wrote a book called the tax guide for influencers during the first lockdown and um that's just been incredible so yes yeah, so I'm an author I'm a speaker I'm a business owner and um I'm also currently doing my master's degree. I'm doing a degree, um, an MBA, so a master's in business at the same time. Wow, Wonder Woman. Oh, thank you so much. Um, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. I've got my list of questions here and I actually don't know where to start, but I think <laughs> maybe if we start, honestly, because I just want to delve into so much with you about money. If we start from the beginning, how did you get into the world of finance and money? Almost accidentally. I feel like a lot, a lot of accountants actually um, sort of accidentally stumble into it. It's really interesting. So I didn't go to university, um, which is probably one of the messier, if I had to write a list of things that are sort of like the messy side of my life. Yeah. Um, I think not going to university was always, I think I'd always been quite insecure about it. A lot of my peers went and it just wasn't right for me at the time. Um, I, I did A-levels. I did really well in my in my A-levels. I had unconditional offers and there was a lot happening in my personal life, which just meant that I, I didn't, I couldn't leave home. I couldn't leave my family. So I didn't go and I went straight into an apprenticeship with my local council in their finance department. And um, I was always really good at maths. I loved economics and business at A-level. So it just seemed organic to sort of go go that way. And I've never looked back since. I absolutely Finance is the most incredible, incredible career. And I think it's it's definitely underrated and played down a bit. And I think at school, no one's like, you should be an accountant. <laughs> like no, no one has ever said that ever. And like, that's what I'm trying to change. I must say, I've never met somebody so excited <laughs> about money and finance. This is brilliant. Now, it's really interesting that you didn't go the straight route to university like so many other people. But but more interestingly, the fact that you that you said that you felt that what was it? Did you feel that that there or do you still feel like there's a social pressure to go to university? Because I know that when my son says to me, 
he doesn't want to go to university I'll be like okay what's your plan like I don't really feel like it's a given now because trends and um uh what am I trying to say um I feel like industries are moving so fast now. And whereas before, maybe in our parents' generation, it made sense to go to university. I have a feeling now that university doesn't equal success. 100% agree. Um, I don't know what the age demographic of the podcast is, but I was born in the 90s. And I think 80s and 90s kids were potentially the first generation of a lot of families that had the potential and the financial capacity to go to university which I think is where a lot of the pressure came like you're the clever one that's kind of the the generation that I absolutely was and it was assumed that because those privileges weren't available to our parents that we should absolutely take them up and yeah I think it's social pressure family pressure pressure that you put on yourself pressure that your peers put on you I think also it's almost like a rite of passage that you're you kind of seem to be turning down yeah. you don't want to go and do freshers week and be drunk permanently and get like three for five pounds on Jaeger bombs like what's wrong with, with you and I was like no I want to do an apprenticeship and get paid three pounds an hour whilst going to night school and working in a nightclub because wow. education is fun and it, it is difficult and and during the time that I was doing an apprenticeship while everyone I knew was drunk in a club on a Tuesday, it was rubbish. <laughs> and yeah. it really was. And no one said to me, it will get better. Like this will be the most difficult bit because it's FOMO for three years. You've got FOMO. You're on right. social media. You're seeing everybody have a great time and make new friends and move on. When I hadn't moved on, I was still living in my hometown, living with my parents, earning no money. And it was really difficult. And I think if someone had told me it's like the tortoise and the hare, I felt like the tortoise and everyone else was the hare. And actually what happened is what happens in that fable in that the people that I thought were speeding ahead of me, actually I was sort of a bit of a a sly underdog that no one really expected. And actually people, my peers that were also studying accounting and finance at university then graduated and came out of university and were actually starting in the junior roles that I'd started in three years ago because they do have a degree in finance but they can't use any accounting software they can't run the reports they can't speak to clients they can't write emails they have no practical experience so literally my peers that went to university and studied accounting started where I'd started three years before and actually the only difference is that not only did I have the experience I also had a professional qualification so it's really difficult and I think that side of it's not spoken about a lot um most most people that I know did go to university and I think there is there is quite a stigma about not going still um I have found a way to sort of um prove everyone wrong might prove myself wrong and sort of like put my finger up a little bit because I'm now doing a master's degree and I don't have an undergraduate degree so um again that's that's amazing that's something that we're really keen to cover on accountancy and and showcase that on the channel that actually I have no undergraduate degree and I'm doing a master's degree so that in itself is is phenomenal it's 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 really it's quite cool you know as, as a personal accomplishment to have always been a bit insecure about this to then be able to approach university and say I don't have a degree but I really think you should take me and then be interviewed and then sit a, a GMAT which is the general general master's admissions test and then be let in and again to do an MBA um, you have to have 
I think it's eight years business experience and because everyone else on the course has an undergraduate degree I am the child of the of the group and I'm literally like three three four or five years younger than everyone else on the course but it's amazing. Wow Rachel where does your drive come from? You just have this energy and it's just so beautiful. Was it, is it do you get it from your family your your parents like where is this inherent drive that you get? Leslie, thank you. That's like the biggest compliment ever. (laughs) You're beaming. Um, Thank you. So a really exciting part of accountant she is that uh, I am accountant she, but there is actually an accountant he. So my (laughs) fiance, James, uh, we are life and business partners. We run the accountancy practice together. And I feel very, very lucky. I feel so grateful that Can I just say that is like a personal life goal of mine is to work. I'm I'm single, but a personal goal of mine is to be with somebody who I could eventually work with. I think that's beautiful. It is so all consuming and addictive and the energy and it's just the pace. Like people told me, like when you start doing an MBA, the pace of your life will you will be catapulted from what you think is normal life and a normal amount of capacity that you have in your life to to do things and to study and to do whatever. And I'm very fortunate we, we, we don't have children yet. Um, I have a dog and a cat and those are basically my responsibilities alongside feeding myself. Yeah. So I am very lucky in that I do have the, the capacity time-wise to commit to it. But people told me this will catapult your life into, like you will shed skin from from who you are now to like where you're going to be at the end of this MBA and to be able to take all of the knowledge that we're learning and and plow it back into a company that for me is um James and I have the intention at the moment that we're probably cash we're going to be pretty cash poor for about like five ten years because every single penny we make we want to drive it back into the company train more people create a legacy um for accountants to come, you know, and to really, really change things. And I think to be able to do that with someone that you love, um, we do get feedback a lot that a lot of people couldn't do it and that to work with someone that you love yeah. is a bit risky. Um, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a gambler, but I consider us working together a little bit of a gamble and it is by far the best decision I've ever made. James and I met at work. Um, it's the only way accountants ever meet each other, just <laughs> out of a social life but um it is yeah I it sorry I'm stumbling yeah being able to work with the person that you love to build a future with the person that you love and every day you're doing it for someone that you love the days that you don't want to get out of bed for yourself because you're tired you just you roll over and you see that person and you think no like this is why my why this is your why in the future that we want and I think every business if you don't understand what your why is um understanding your why is probably one of the biggest uh business techniques ever tell anyone if if you are confused about why you're doing it or what you're trying to do you need to go back and think about it again because my why is James the why gets you out of the bed Get you out of the bed absolutely so how did you okay so you were working for a company beforehand it's, and what was the transition from working for someone else to launching accountant she and um, was it a straight line or was it a little bit messy so so I was working before um I think I've always wanted to be able to put my heart into whatever I'm doing and to be able to find a way to 
do accounting for good and make it like person-centered accounting because I think there's a lot of everything's very automated and it's all very numbers and people think it's very dry but actually like but you want to no- think about accounting I want to fall asleep <laughs> exactly I'm gonna be honest with you like I'm like I did whatever before I was working for a company that owned and operated nursing homes and residential homes throughout Buckinghamshire mm-hmm. so their bottom line their profit really makes a difference to the people that they care for uh, and that, that was amazing. That was that was wonderful. And then I started my MBA in January 2020. And within six months, um, it like like I said, I'd started shedding skin. I'd started shedding layers and my confidence was improving. And I it's been one of the most phenomenal like personal experiences I've ever been through. And um, it really made me think about why I'm doing the MBA, my why. And actually, that's me. And that's James. And alongside me working at this um at my job, James has been building his accountancy practice. So at the same time that I was thinking, actually, I'm learning so much and I have so much value and I'm so full of beans, I need to put it somewhere. James was also at the at the capacity where he was growing the business and the business was almost ready to take someone on. So the two roads sort of collided and, and everyone used to ask us, will you work together? Do you think you'll work together? Because we're both accountants, we're engaged to be married and everyone used to say, you'll work together one day and we'd say no we won't we like keeping it separate and then yeah one day I was I was getting frustrated and a bit things weren't weren't working where I was before and at the same time as James being very very busy and we just sort of paused and looked at each other and said shall we do it and we absolutely love doing things that people the penny dropped the penny was like why are we not working with each other yeah and I think on a personal level um I guess you're not really supposed to say this, but we absolutely love proving people wrong. Like doing a master's degree of no degree. Don't tell anyone. Like people will think, oh, you know, if you work together, it might not go very well. And we love proving people wrong. And it's amazing. It's I'm, I'm having the time of my life. I think you can probably tell. <laughs> Rachel, I love speaking to you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to come off this call like so excited. and Buzzing. <laughs> Why? Wim- OK, let's focus on women why are we why do why don't we like talking about money where does it come from like there's so many different things is it a societal thing like for example I would never really sit around with my friends and talk about salary debt like that kind of thing like what is it like do, do men do that? Or maybe I'm just, you know, do men talk about money openly, do you think? I you just... Know, more than women. I think the first thing is it's a very inherently British thing to do is to don't talk about money. Like, even my parents, if you say, like, when, when I was employed, if I was getting a pay rise or a promotion, they're sort of, like, really uncomfortable talking about it. I think it's wow. a very... I think, firstly, it's a very British thing. But then, secondly, even splitting it into gender... I think the thought of um, a bloke, well, pre-COVID, the thought of a bloke walking into his local while the football's on and chatting to his mates and saying, oh, I got commission of five grand this month selling cars. They'd all high five him. Exactly. If someone went for like brunch with their girlfriends and said, I made five grand commission, they'd all, they'd be setting up another WhatsApp group to talk about her. (laughs) So true. It's just... It, no one would flinch if a man did it but if a woman walked into a bar and said I made five grand commission this month they'd be like Ooh. you know it's it's so difficult and I think as a business owner 
finances is, is one of the only benchmarks that you have to tell you that you're doing okay. Like no one's there patting you on the back. You haven't got a manager to say, great job. Like you can go home now. You're just there at 10 PM alone. Like finance is one of the only benchmarks that small business owners have to tell them whether or not they're doing a good job. Exactly. Do you think as well, there's slight imposter syndrome. There's more imposter syndrome with women um, that they, they feel embarrassed about talking about money or they feel a lot of women feel embarrassed about being successful. Yeah. Yeah. So Forbes um, in 2019 conducted some research into why more women don't become self-employed. And the top three reasons were imposter syndrome, lack of business guidance and knowledge and lack of funding and finance. And that's basically where accountancy was born because that's not right. That's not right. Why do, why do men get the money? Why don't they have imposter syndrome? <laughs> and why do they know everything? So basically, know, it's, it's, a was, very, it's a very small percentage of women that actually own businesses, right? In yes, comparison. absolutely. Yeah. It's so tiny. in terms of um, getting finance and funding, uh, 2.7% mm. of venture capital goes to female-led businesses, which is just insane. Wonderful. Also, if you had a man and a woman sat on the bench with the same business pitch, same proposal, same word said, a woman statistically would be offered 63% of the funding that would be offered to the man. Wow. And when that's looked into, when people sort of dig and say, this is wrong, it's basically cited as bias during the investment process. A lot of the decision makers are men. Uh, they're not used to seeing female founders and they they feel unsure and, and, and confused. So it, it's really, really difficult. And, and Accountant She was born basically to address each of those things. Obviously, imposter syndrome is one of them. And um, imposter syndrome is obviously something that affects everybody. But I think it really does impact um, women far more significantly than men. There's there was a study done recently. Sorry, I'm an accountant. I like numbers. There was a study no, done please. recently. I love all these numbers, and I think the listeners will love these numbers as well. There was a study recently, and it it, it interviewed men and women um, that were considering going for a promotion, and they gave them the job description of the job higher than the job they are doing now. All of the women basically um, focused on all of the things on the list that they couldn't do yeah and concentrated yeah. on them and the bloke was like I can do that I can do that I can do that I can do that there's only like three things I can't do so I'm definitely going to go for the job um and it was like a quarter of the women would actually go for the promotion knowing that there were th- things on the list they couldn't do uh and out of all of the men and it just I think it's just perception right. is different I think men I don't I honestly don't know it is really yeah. really interesting and I think again finance can be used in a way to diminish imposter syndrome and make women ballsy and confident and sure of the numbers. Like if you're going into a meeting and you know what your hourly rate is and you've calculated it in a way that means if I want to withdraw 50 grand from this company at the end of the year and still pay tax, I have to charge my hourly rate at 40 pounds an hour. If then someone asks you, oh, can you give us a discount? We're not really looking for that right now. You know where your line is. Whereas if you're going into that into that meeting not financially educated and you've just sort of plucked your hourly rate out of thin air and someone then asks you to waiver on it, you don't actually understand the impl- implications and the impacts of, of wavering. So I really try and use finance and business education as a way to diminish imposter syndrome and make people really sort of confident and financially confident in what they're doing. 
I remember being in a role, I've always worked um, historically in fashion wholesale. So I've worked for some of the biggest companies in the UK. And there was this one fashion brand that I worked for and I was hired and two of my work, two of my male work colleagues, we were all hired for, hired for the same role and they openly discussed what their salary was. And I realized that it was um, 5K more than, than my salary and I had more experience than them. So I went and sat with the managing director of the company and I kind of laid my case down and I said, you know, I really believe that I'm worth, you know, to, to be paid the same amount as my male colleagues. And this man said, and I can remember this story like it was yesterday, because I will always hold it inside of me. And he looked me in the eye and, and said to me, Serena, I actually think you're being quite greedy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget it. What? And what that did, like what that did to my confidence. So this was how many years ago now? If my son is, so this was about nine years ago. Yeah, this was about nine years ago. I literally feel hot. I am right? so angry. Right? He told me I was greedy for asking for this to be paid the same amount of money as my male counterparts. And, you know, Rachel, I felt that I did something wrong. In that moment, this is somebody who is senior management. He's the managing director of the, of the company. And within that moment, I honestly did... For a split second, feel that I was that you were. yeah. Feel that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't worth to be paid the same amount of money, whether it was because of the whether it was because I was a female, color of my skin, I don't know. <laughs> but what that it absolutely crushed my confidence. And I did that role always knowing that these two guys who are who didn't have as much experience as me were being paid more money. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure that there's so many people listening have got women listening that have got very similar stories. And I think what I learned from that um, scenario is that I just have to be more ballsy and not to not to allow other people to make me feel small. I actually ended up buying a book. Um, I can't pronounce her name, by Juliet Nierberg. It's called Women and the Art of Negotiation. It's a really old book. And I've been reading this book to try and understand how I can negotiate better. Because I think this all comes within the bubble of imposter syndrome, mindset, not feeling that you're enough. And yeah, like it's it's really helped me like, so if anybody is listening and wants to get tips on how to negotiate, please, I think, go and buy some books on the art of negotiation. What would you say to that? Have you experienced anything like that? Or do you know of women that have experienced anything like that, where they've been put down, where they've tried to be bold and they've been put down with regards to kind of stepping into their power and asking for more money? I'm very lucky that it hasn't happened to me and mm -hmm. this this is a conversation that James and I have quite a lot that as a professional industry we feel really grateful to to be accountants because a you understand why your hourly rate is what it is um b the background behind it we we understand and it's very easy to benchmark how much your time is worth as a chartered accountant and a qualified accountant 
Um, and as a professional industry, if somebody sort of cringes at the price or you send a quote over and they sort of ghost you, that's okay. And I think that does come from understanding the figures, understanding the business, um, having trained to a really high standard. So I feel so grateful to be working in an industry where it is price generally is more regulated. Yeah. Uh, most people understand what an accountant is and what the value is from, from hiring an accountant. And I, I, I feel very lucky and very grateful for that because that can be one of the hardest, hardest parts of running a business, especially a service-based in business. Yeah. Um, I'm working in the service industry. If you're selling a product, you know that this is how much it costs to sell the product. These are your overheads. You want a margin of this to withdraw this much money. That's your sales price, you know? Yeah. Rather than in a service-based industry, you have to constantly justify the value that you're able to provide. And it, we are lucky that most people in, in the UK understand the value that an accountant can provide. Uh, we pride ourselves on, on offering more than that. So it's very important to make sure people understand what they get in return for their money. So um, I do feel, feel very lucky that I've not ever been called greedy for asking for the same amount of money as someone else can you imagine as a female business owner how can women learn how can they educate themselves what are your like top tip anyone that's listening now but what other steps small steps can people start to do to just gain a bit more knowledge on finance and I think really the the word that comes to my head is take control Mm. yeah absolutely So I think the first thing, um, obviously I'm going to say this, I think the first thing is to speak to an accountant. So I think a lot of people, especially within the professional services field, are terrified that people will charge you to speak to them. So we moved house in 2020 um, and we used to call our solicitor and after 15 minutes I'd be like, hang up, he's going to charge us. (laughs) People think accountants are like that and actually the accountancy industry has that name for a reason. A lot of older uh, accountancy practice do do that and that's absolutely not how we operate so um, we are completely free to chat to Um, quite often we will help you support you uh, give you advice on how to structure and build your business for free and then we just sort of sit on the sidelines and cheer you on until you are ready to actually engage with an accountant so speaking to an accountant at day one or even pre-day one is even better to talk about company structure um, what your plans are for the business and I think I think my number one tip would be to step back from the business. Okay. Come back to your why and... Okay. Hang on, Rachel, I'm going to write this down. So a lot of people let the business dictate... Step back. Step back. My why. Yeah. A lot of people let the business dictate their personal life, how much money they have, what their future plans are, when they're going to buy a house. Wrong way around. You need to look at where you want your life to be in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years and work out what you need and what the business needs to be able to provide for you in order for you to do that and then work back from there. I also think it's very important to feel, I think that actually gives you a sense of control. Yeah. Having your your personal, whether it's a vision board or your your Pinterest board, having a very clear understanding of what you want in the next five, like one, three, five, 10 years, Um, being very clear on that using that to like visualize things. So I have a morning routine, whereas a, a part of that Anna, is visualizing. Wait, what's, your, what's your morning routine? Tell us. Oh, okay. So there's a book you absolutely have to read. I love this. So the book is called The Miracle Morning. So I used to think I wasn't really a morning person. Uh, I really, I really genuinely did. So this is, this is from someone who's been completely converted 
to being like dread I, I used to snooze my alarm like seven times like James absolutely detested it I was a serial snoozer read this book and it basically teaches you um six steps every morning you can you can drag it out you can make it last an hour and a half or you can do six of them for 10 minutes and make it last an hour or five minutes do half an hour so you start the morning in silence you take some time in complete silence just to meditate mm. then run through your affirmations uh, positive affirmations and again depending on where you're at in the business your personal life if you want to focus on your relationship and make some positive changes in relationships that you have with someone you can chop and change which affirmations you, you focus on for weeks and months at a time um, so silence, affirmations, visualizations. So visualizing. So I always visualize, visualize graduating from university and I was training to do a triathlon last year. So I used to imagine like going across the finish line. And so it's silence, affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, and then scribing. So journaling, keeping a diary. Um, yeah, so six things that you can do every single morning to change your life. And I think visualizations and knowing where you want to get to in your personal life and within the business and spending time literally thinking about that and starting your day in that way is so, so, so important. So if and someone tells you that you're greedy and that's not serving you and you started your day off thinking really positively about where you want to go and then someone tells you you're greedy, you would probably react to them maybe a little bit differently. So this is from the book, The Morning Miracle by Hal Elrod. Yeah, Miracle Morning. Yeah, very good book. Going to be getting that for sure. <laughs> right, <laughs> where were we? Um, first and foremost, step back, step back from the business and just kind of maybe give, give yourself a bit of an overview. What's your why? Where do you want to be in your life? What's your plan for one, three, five, ten years down the line? I think so many people almost get off on the wrong foot with letting the business drive them. Like the business is sort of carrying away. It, it, you know, when you see people with a dog that like can't walk on a lead and you think... Yeah. That dog is walking you. Like some people end up like that in business. And actually from day one, <laughs> you need to be training the dog to walk on the lead. Like you, you need to be the person dictating what's happening in the business. And you need to fully understand what's happening outside of the business that's driving that. And to be very clear on that, because one day you'll get to the point like us and you've got full-time employees, they're watching you and they're guiding you and you cannot be confused. You have to know, because if you need... You need to be in a position where every single one of your employees lives and breathes it and, and really is passionate about it in the same way that you are. And if that message is confused in any way, they will be confused too. So it's very important from day one to understand the things external to the business that are crucial within the business. So for us, that's that's where we want to get to. That's the life we want our children to have and how maybe that will be different from ours. Yeah, so really stepping back and understanding why you're doing it, I think is one of the best bits of um, advice I could give to anybody, especially as a woman. You know, we, we're, we're told to believe certain things about our limits and what we should do and at what point we should have children. And mm. I, I recently presented, um, I was part of a growth and scaling program because we're growing so fast. So we, we, we will have gone from one to five employees within 12 months by this summer. And we're scaling very rapidly, almost hyperscaling. And uh, I delivered a presentation about how we were going to manage and scale that growth. Would you like to know the feedback I received? Please tell me. They called me out on not incorporating family planning into my business. Family. Because as a woman in my 20s that has a ring on my finger, I should have uh, incorporated family planning into my business plan. 
And um, the stale pale males who were on the course alongside me did not get called out for not including family planning into into their business plans. So how did you respond to that? uh, It was very difficult. And I, so my question to you was going to be, how did you respond when someone told you you were greedy? I'm awful. I'm so, so bad. I absolutely just really, really struggled to call people out. And I I do think as a business owner, you learn to pick your battles and actually like me telling this bold 60 year old that he is absolutely wrong and how it's inappropriate to say that actually isn't going to be a great use of my energy I just turn the frustration into change and being able to educate and show young women yeah that these subjects at school are glamorous and are exciting and are full of energy and I will not be the person that he was to me so like I'm a mentor with a couple of different charities and we work to I work with young women who are also in the accountancy field and yeah I want to be the person to those that that man wasn't for me in a mentor and I think you just sometimes you just have to park it and say that's okay (laughs) my grandma had this saying um that you you kiss ass until you can kick ass yeah and it right it's like you take the comment on in that in that situation that you were in, especially, you know, very formal setting, mm. um, business planning. Um, it's like, OK. And then you go and then you do what you need to do. It was just one of the greatest. You know, when you just leave and you're so disappointed. Yes, yes. This growth program that I'd been on was amazing. It was an intense 12 week growth and scaling for, for businesses who are sort of scaling a little bit faster than they're comfortable with. And it, it helps you to plan and forecast and not lose your why throughout growing. And it was, it was honestly fantastic. I made great friends. We took on new clients from networking within the program. It was incredible. And then at the last minute, the last piece of the last touch point I had with this course was being told that I didn't incorporate family planning. 2020. Where do we start with 2020? <laughs> but in terms of businesses, I found something positive, which you'd be surprised to hear about 2020, is that there was a rise in new businesses last year. There were on record, I think in 2019, there was around 681,000 registered new businesses. Last year, it was nearly 800,000 in terms of registered new businesses. So what that is showing is so many people were made redundant or lost their jobs and I wrote I wrote down the number the current unemployment rate right now is 4.9 percent that figure is from August to to October last year 4.9 percent which is scary and that's going to go up like that 4.9 is buffered by furlough like we've seen so much buffering happening and at, at some point it's going to end like 4.9 is that you know that that's it's, it's going to go up so with the rise in in new businesses which is I think a very a, a positive thing to come out of last mm. year in my first podcast I, I talked about how the pandemic in in certain circumstances has kind of forced us to really hustle right has kind of really kind of um, opened up a a new spirit in us in a sense of, right, okay, we've lost our jobs. We can't rely on the government. What am I in control of? 
What have I always wanted to do? What is that side hustle that I couldn't do when I had a full-time job and I was focusing on bringing money in to pay the mortgage and to pay the bills? You know, a lot of people in a situation where they're like, actually, I have literally nothing to lose now. Let me just jump into my dream. What would you say is a piece of advice for new business owners right now with regards to accounting? What are some of the There's a couple of things that you can do from day one that will massively serve you long term. And quite often we see people, um, a lot of people don't reach out to an accountant until they really, really need one. And actually, it's great to have someone, even someone like me, that you can just DM on Instagram when you've got a question, they're not going to charge you. Um, So the number one thing is to keep your personal and your business finances completely separate. Mm. Set up a separate bank account, online banks, not high street banks at the moment, because you you can't go into them. So a lot of the online banks, so Monzo, Starling. Starling is a female-led bank, so you should definitely choose yeah. yeah, online banks like Monzo and Starling, you can set up um, business bank accounts within 48 hours as long as your business is already registered with Companies House. And uh, if if you're a sole trader, so that you need to just a separate bank account in your own na- name, you can do it within 24 hours. So it's super quick, super easy. There's literally nothing to stop you doing it. So keeping everything separate, having one debit card that's for you yourself personally, one debit card for the, for the business. And every time you're spending money, making that active decision of right business expense, putting it on the account. At the very least, even if you think, I'm just going to try this for a little while and see what happens. At the very minimum, you've got a bank account, which is a record of how much profit you've made, how much cash you've got. And then if you need to, if you need to file a self-assessment tax return, you've got all the data there in one place that you can download to CSV do it on Excel and file your tax return. So number one tip is to keep your business and your personal finances separately is 2021. It takes 24 hours to open a business bank account. Uh, you have no excuse. So that's the first thing is to keep things separate. I think as well as a business owner, it's very, very important. Like we have said with imposter syndrome and as women in business, it's very difficult to find people within your existing circle that you can talk to comfortably about money. Um, Instagram is a fantastic community of business owners and a lot of people that in in real life maybe your competition on Instagram are your friends and I would definitely encourage you to find people within the same industry maybe a different location so you're not directly competing with each other or in a similar industry so there's enough in common for you to help and support each other without actually like blocking each other um Find advocates, find friends, find people that cheer you on. Just find a tribe, a community. 100%. And as business owners, we are the people that you can go to and say, I made 10 grand this month and they're just going to send you fire emojis and party popper emojis. They're not going to talk about you behind your back. They are literally just going to be proud of you and happy for you. So I think finding a group of people that... um, that are just rooting for you, but also understand how difficult it is. So I, like you, run an Instagram platform. And based on what you see on Instagram, oh, do I have a nice life? I come on podcasts with Serena. I go out to my clients who sell sports cars. I get sent amazing things from my clients. In reality, I'm doing all of those things. But like yesterday, my working day started at 8pm because it took me the entire day to clear my clear my inbox and, and get my to-do list from. So I think having business owners within your network that you're just honest with each other. Because sometimes you just need someone to talk to about how 
how difficult, how difficult it, is. it is and how lonely it can be sometimes absolutely and that, that's the thing loneliness and I think as female business owners it can be very lonely and I, I think I certainly didn't realize how much of the social aspect I got from employment I'm quite an introverted person I always thought oh, I don't want to see people <laughs> but now now I'm not working I don't have that consistent um energy you get energy from other people you you do. and absolutely. I I really think that other business owners become your colleagues when you're self-employed and it's really important to reach out. And also the benefit of it being 2021 is that if you reach out to someone and they ignore you, it's not a huge deal. Like if you DM someone that you really admire on Instagram and say, it'd be great to chat if ever you get five minutes and they ignore you, just archive the chat. You're not reminded of it again. Whereas actually worst case scenario, they'll ignore you. Best case scenario they will be a mentor for you. They'll be an advocate for you. They'll help you. They'll tell you the stuff that you don't know already. And um, yeah, finding advocates and peers and also reaching out to people that you really admire within your community is, is fantastic. And I really find Instagram can sometimes get a bit of a bad name, uh, but the business side of it is truly phenomenal. And I've made really, really good friends through the process. And it's a very yes community. People want to help each other. Yeah. We're, we're all we're all going through this and actually to do it together makes it a bit less painful so I definitely encourage you to reach out um, to people that you admire and your peers within the process um, just to have some someone to to go through it with great advice Rachel I mean there's so many more questions but and w- one of them is knowing your worth so with obviously the rise now of people setting up their own businesses and there's going to be a lot of freelancers out there and I always hear the conversation of freelancers maybe underpaying themselves and not being and not having the confidence to ask for what they really want do you have a calculation that you might say to somebody who is a freelancer this is how you calculate your worth yes absolutely um I'm an accountant I love a formula there's literally a formula okay so a lot of people would, uh, and again, it starts with what you need from the business. So if you said, I need to, because I have a mortgage and a nine-year-old, I need to withdraw £50,000 from the business and I want to work 40 hours a week. You don't divide £50,000 by 52 divided by 40. Please don't do that. So you need to work out what your overheads are. Look at the business, analyze your overheads. I'm talking... Telephone, internet, utilities, travel expenses, uh, other people's salaries, advertise, literally everything. Everything. Look at your overheads, total them up, add them all up. You then need to add on what you need to withdraw from the company. So say, for example, your overheads total 40,000. You want to withdraw 50, add them together. That will then give you your required turnover. From the required turnover... That's how much you need to make in sales in order to pay your overheads and then withdraw your 50,000. But in order to get to your turnover figure, if you were looking to calculate an hourly rate, sorry, this is some this is some maths. If you're listening to this podcast while driving, please pull over. Um, this is so much knowledge. I mean, I love it. Thank you. So then from that turnover figure, if you're looking to calculate an hourly rate, you need to consider a lot of people would say, right, I'm working 40 hours a week and I want to work five days within that week that's eight hour days I'm just going to do do it on that basis you need to and I, I can't stress this enough as a business owner you need to prioritize your mental and physical health so to go into a year and to go into the business knowing 
that within your hourly rate, you've covered off your overheads, you've covered off the tax, you've accounted to take bank holidays off because they're lovely and you want to get outside. And then you want to take 14 days annual leave and you want to account for eight sick days because that's the, that's the national average. And you can think, I'm a badass businesswoman. I'm not going to take a day off sick. Going into a year, especially with coronavirus, going into a year knowing that you've got eight days buffer and you've, you've calculated your hourly rate, given the fact that you, you need to be able to pay yourself, even if you take days off sick, is phenomenal for improving your mental health and being able to pace yourself and avoiding burnout. So don't just say, I want to work 40 hours a week, times it by 52, and then divide your turnover by that. You need to work out how many hours you want to do a week, account for eight bank holidays, 14 days annual leave, and eight sick days, which would then leave you with 230 billable days in the year rather than 365 minus weekends. And then you also need to look at how much in an average day is actually billable time. Right. Okay. Like I said yesterday, I started working at 8 p.m. That entire yeah. day was a write-off. Yeah. So if on average you think I'm going to take 60 minutes for lunch and 90 minutes admin time, that actually suddenly turns your eight-hour working day into a 5.5-hour billable day. Okay. It's really important to understand the numbers. And I think so many people would have been like, I'm just going to divide £50,000 by 40 hours a week. If you would have done that, the hourly rate that you would have got to is £24 an hour. And using this method, I need to tell you that it's actually like £46 an hour in order to, to do it. So, so many people are charging like crucially low figures and have no idea why their business isn't working, why they're not making money, because they're working just as hard as everybody else. So understanding the numbers is, and this is what I mean, already, if you're then going into a meeting and you know, right, my hourly rate is £46 an hour, say say you rounded it up, you're being greedy and you round it up to 50. If you then go into a business meeting and someone asks you, can you do it at 40? You know the answer is no. Because in your head, you're thinking, no, I want my bank holidays. I need my annual leave. I work very hard. I want to go on holiday. Uh, I've got overheads to pay. Um, no, I can't. I, you know, it gives you a straight answer. And if someone tells you being greedy, you tell them that you don't need to work with them. They're not a client anymore, you know? So I think as, as an individual, really understanding the numbers, understanding where they come from, how you got there and how that's feeding in, back into your personal life is crucial and can in, improve your confidence massively. Awesome. Wow, I've learned. I feel like <laughs> I've gone to college. On the, on the, I, feel like I've, I feel like I've done a degree on this phone call it's amazing <laughs> um let's talk about books mm. I was saying to you before we got on the call <laughs> I have got books women and money by uh Susie Orman unfuck your finances yes. by Melissa Brown very good book okay cool so I'm going to read that first and <laughs> good smart women finish rich by David Batch amazing Three books that I haven't read yet. <laughs> when I get off this call, I'm going to start. Now, that's it now. I'm going to start. I'm going to start taking control, Rachel. This is the thing. I, Miracle Morning. If you read the Miracle Morning book, yeah. you're, setting, you're, set, you're setting time aside every day to read a book. And if it's two pages or 10 pages, you've still made progress. You've still learned something new. And you're going into the business with like a little seed planted into your brain. So absolutely. Reading every single morning is amazing. I can only speak for myself when because money isn't something that I'm very confident with 
You know, like that thing in the wardrobe that you don't like to wear, so you keep it at the back of the wardrobe. I feel like that with regards to money. I never just face it. I never like just go, right, okay, today, today I'm going to learn about money because it's knowledge, like everything that you've said on this phone call that actually would give me the freedom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have gives you the freedom to lead your life in the way that you choose to leave it to leave it sorry and I feel like if we all just as women especially if we faced money we would be so free with the decisions that we make about our life it is kind of like this monster underneath the bed you know that we're kind of scared to face talking with you now it's just revved me up that I know that this is something that I've got to face I've got to get some more knowledge about I was saying to you earlier I bought a a money book for my son because I just I do not want him to be like me where I'm kind of afraid to talk about money and face money I I want him from a very young age to just it just to kind of be a conversation an easy conversation an easy concept are there any books that you've read that you would recommend Absolutely. So obviously Miracle Morning massively changed my life. This one actually isn't a business book. This is almost like a personal development book, which again, absolutely, I'd say was a real turning point in my life reading this book. Um, It's called Good Vibes, Good Life by a man called Vex King. And if you're someone that um, struggles with anxiety and is a bit of an overthinker, you really just sort of want some time to step back and look at things, this book will change your life. I I think I currently have three copies of it because I just like give it to everybody I know. Um, like I I just, I have them in rotation. I, I give them to, to people that I know and then ask for them back and then give them to, to more people because it honestly is one of the best books I've ever read in terms of like mindset and being mindful and yeah. Knowing when not to stress about stuff. I, I, I'm quite an anxious person. I, I really like to be liked by people. And I, I really struggle when I'm when I feel like I'm not. And actually, it, it just gives you some really good tips and advice and um, like skills to, to understand your mindset and why you feel that way. So that's like a personal <laughs> development book. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is a very old book. It's actually, it was written in 1937, but it's a fantastic book. Again, it's a bit of a personal development book. It's self-improvement. It talks about money mindset. There's one of the older books that you'll probably get recommended on a podcast today, but yeah, written in 1937 and it is a phenomenal book. So Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I listen to that on YouTube before I go to bed sometimes. I just have it on. And I, I like the fact that it's old school yeah. and it feels so relevant now. 100%. And then um, the only other one that I think I would like to mention is You Are a Badass at Making Money. <laughs> and that is written by Jen Sincero. Also a very, very good book. Uh, it talks about money. It's a, it's a New York bestseller. I would definitely recommend you add that to your list. Great. You've given us so much knowledge. This is amazing. So to wrap up our interview today, Rachel, what ha- what has been one of the biggest lessons that you've learned from 2020 with regards to your business or even you personally? From the business, everything is an opportunity. Okay. So our, our business exploded in 2020 because we positioned ourselves in exactly the right place at the right time. And it wasn't luck and it wasn't given to us and it didn't just happen overnight. We strategically positioned ourselves in the right place because of what was happening in the pandemic and the business has experienced phenomenal success because of that. So opportunity is available to you wherever you are. 
It's not easy. It will involve 14 hour days, seven days a week. You will have to live and breathe it. But in every way, in your personal life, in your business life, in how you feel about yourself, it is worth it. So there is opportunity everywhere. I would really encourage that. Um, I would also encourage people to um, dig a little bit. So if you're following someone online and you think, oh, overnight success, Mm -hmm. probably not. I would really encourage you to dig a little bit, do a bit of research, listen to them, you know, listen to people. I've really push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I'm trying to speak more on my Instagram stories to give people a bit more of a real insight into the business, because I'm aware that the Instagram feed is very much the polished version and they don't see you doing tax returns at 10 PM. So I think it's really important to, um, to not judge others, concentrate on yourself. I think that's also really good advice. It's, it's very easy to compare yourself now and someone's day 1000 is not the same as your day one. So it's really, really important to be careful for your mental health, not to compare yourself to other people. I guess the personal aspect would probably just to be to prioritize yourself and make make positive decisions. So James and I are teetotal, we don't drink. We just celebrated our two year sober anniversary. And that is that's been a crucial aspect in the business. I don't know how people uh, run businesses with a glass of rosé in their hand, but... Um, how did you both, if you don't mind me asking, why did you both make that decision for your business and for each other? So, yeah, so we, we stopped drinking two years ago. It was actually way before I considered moving into the business. And um, for me, it was a bit of a mental health decision. I decided to do dry January. So I'm an absolute cliche. My sober, my sober anniversary is the 1st of January. Um, yeah, I decided to do um, dry January two years ago in 2019. Yeah, 2019. And the results I saw in my life within 31 days changed my life. And at the end of the 31 days, I literally swore I'll never drink again. Like the results I saw, the significant change, mentally physically with I I always always thought I really really struggle badly with anxiety apparently I don't it's just beer fear you know like it's really important to understand who you are and what you're capable of when you remove everything from your life and I think (laughs) um, for me it was it's fundamentally one of the best decisions that I've ever made you know I was doing my accountancy exams at the time I had this exam I just couldn't pass I stopped drinking past it first time. It was like a part of my brain was just open that wasn't there before. And I wasn't a massively heavy drinker. I think, again, I'm a 90s kid. I definitely grew up in the binge drinking generation. I wasn't a heavy drinker. I think there's quite often a predisposition that if if you are sober, you are an alcoholic. It's like asking someone Mm -hmm. if they don't, you know, if someone doesn't like mayonnaise, people don't ask them, were they addicted to mayonnaise? Like they just think, oh, you prefer ketchup. So, you know... (laughs) the best decision I've ever made in my life and I, I will never drink again. Gosh, you're amazing. <laughs> Honestly, um, thank you. No, thank you for having me. Time out of your, you know, your work schedule to, to be on the podcast. Thank you for the your energy, your knowledge, your positivity, your stories of up-leveling, Rachel. I feel like your journey has each stage of your journey that you've explained to us, you've just kept up, you've just kept on up leveling. You Doesn't know, it make you excited for what's to come. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Before we go, how can people connect with you? I know you did mention it before earlier, but I noticed on your website that you can click on and you can get an introductory 
cool with you am I right in saying that absolutely so I would love 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 to see you guys on my Instagram page Uh, that's where all the action's at so it's accountant underscore she through there you can click through into my website where you can book a 30 minute free call with me just have a chat about your business where you're at what you need from the business personally and how we can help you make that happen and then yeah also on the website you can buy my book which is the tax guide for influencers which is another great resource that people absolutely are loving at the moment because it's tax season I mean, anybody that's listening to this and is a business owner or is thinking of going into business, I think it's a must that you get in contact with Rachel. I think it's an absolute must. If When you think about all the, the, the knowledge that she's imparted in this call today, it's been amazing. So thank you so much. All the best. Let's no, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Let's stay in touch. Oh, 100%. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Rachel from Accountant She as much as I did. She really left me with a list of things that I'm going to look into and definitely read for 2021. Now, if you did love this episode, please rate, leave a review and subscribe. This helps everybody find the show. Now, with most of us still living in lockdown, it is the simple things that help us relax at home and create a lovely, chilled atmosphere. So check out my brand. It's called Melita Rose. We're a mother and daughter team and we create hand-poured soy wax candles from scratch. And we have over 12 different fragrances online. So you can shop the brand at www.melitarose.com or why not follow us on Insta? That's Melita Rose underscore candles. And also, if you shop the candle brand online, we can give you 20% off. Just use the code MESSY. The next episode you do not want to miss, trust me. I'm talking to Michael McPherson, who is a sexual therapist and a pioneer in the realm of sex and intimacy, all the way from America. So look out for this show on the 1st of March.